Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Man to Man NBA show. I'm very happy to be joining you today, whether you're listening on Dash, where you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you check us out. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, a little different episode today. I've done this once in the past, but I'm going to be doing it again. Uh, I'm running a solo pod today. Uh, Andy and Liam, my usual co-hosts, co-contributors, could not make it today. They actually had a big interview with another special guest, similar to what happened last time. And uh, for that reason, it's just me today. So I'm going to riff a little bit on March Madness. I'm going to riff a little bit on what was going on in the NBA this week, which definitely took a backseat, but it's still a lot going on coming into the home stretch here. And then I'm going to do something a little different because in a solo pod, believe it or not, it's hard to talk for 40, 55 minutes excuse me, straight uh, about basketball. I love basketball to death, but talking about it just by myself isn't super easy. So what I will be doing is I was working on an article comparing every NBA MVP candidate to the Best Picture nominees of the Oscars, which was actually just given out. I'm recording on Sunday night, so it's going to be a little outdated by the time you hear this, but I'll make it work. Uh, just comparing them and saying which ones I think is which and a little direct comparison, if that doesn't make sense. I hope you stick around because it will make sense in the future. That'll be the back half of the episode. All right, now that we got the intros out the way, let's get into March Madness. So as was going on last week, continued this week, the NCAA basketball tournament, men's and women's March Madness occurring right now. Uh, this weekend was the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and we are now down to four teams. And I must say, in what was one of the craziest college basketball seasons of all time, where there was no dominant team and where anything could happen in March Madness, where there's upsets galore, the Final Four is now Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, and Kansas for of the most prominent premier programs of the last uh, forever for a few of them Villanova for the last 20 years. Uh, It's crazy to think that in the craziest season of all time, so-called we just have four blue bloods in the final four, but that's basketball. You know, I think that's why having a 63 game tournament in total is just the perfect amount of variance where, yeah, anything crazy can happen. A St. Peter's can make a run from a 15 seed to the elite eight. But at the end of the day, there's enough games where the best teams are probably going to come out on top. And I'd say these four teams, North Carolina's made a bit of a crazy run, but they're still North Carolina. They have incredible amount of talent, a lot of five stars. Uh, these teams end up at the top because they have this talent and great coaching, and they have these programs that know how to win in the big tournament. So I won't say I'm disappointed by the result at all. I, I love seeing good basketball teams play and good basketball teams win and good basketball teams in the Final Four. A uh, little disappointing for Villanova. Uh, they had a, they really only were playing six, seven deep to begin, and they just had one of their stars go down with an Achilles tear. So they are now down really to about five, six guys, which is tough to win in uh, the college basketball with only five guys, but we'll see. So get a little bit more into the previews later, but I'm going to finish off the Sweet 16 talk here because the Sweet 16 was awesome. Um, pretty much every game, there were a couple of blowouts, but generally speaking, games were close enough to keep things interesting across the board. And I can't say I'm a huge fan of how they set the games up timing wise um, where they would start one game and then another game about 30 minutes later, having those two games on at the same time, even though the halftime did, you know, work its way in. So one game would cycle out for a little bit and then come back on these weekend days. I get a lot of people work and things like that, but there's gotta be a better way to do it. And uh, it's, it just seemed like they were packing a lot into a time when it should have been spread out a little bit. So that that was a little disappointing, but I would say, generally speaking, those games were good. 
Uh, the under hit in every first half, which is usually not a sign for exciting games, but um, it was in interesting ways. You know, there the, not every game was was looking the same. There were some games that were straight rock fights. There were some games where it was back and forth, back and forth, and then it would stop for five minutes and all of a sudden it gave a defensive battle. And in college basketball, where the talent is not always at its best, they're still incredible basketball players, but they're not professional basketball players, obviously. That That, that is expected. But to see every game hit the under, and the only reason I really know this and, and I'm confident about it is because a buddy of mine in Vegas, we were in Vegas during these games, bet the under on every game and actually it hit. It was incredible. It was one of the most electric gambling moments of my life and it wasn't even my ticket uh it was never something that held the games back that they were low scoring in the first half and again you know even though they kind of overlapped and there was a probably a little bit better way to do that it was fun it was great thursday friday of games and i think all in all was very satisfying however the elite eight was absolutely not uh the elite eight matchups were it's the first game was Villanova Houston, which ended 50 to 44. So it didn't even reach a hundred points, which is uh, a rock fight. Yeah. There's really no other way to describe that. Houston is known to lock down and Villanova is known to play slow, methodical offense and look for their shots. But it wasn't even entertaining in that way. It was just like, wow, this isn't great basketball, which it obviously is. If you look at it from a defensive, you know, lockup standpoint, but that's not what makes games horribly entertaining, unfortunately. We like points scored. You got to score points to win games. So for that matter, I would say that game was was really just kind of a, a a skippable game, honestly, even though it ended up being the closest game of all the Elite Eight games because every other game, including uh, St. Pete and uh, UNC, was a blowout. And there's just – it wasn't entertaining. The games were not horribly good. Uh, every game was either a blowout one way or another, including Kansas beating Miami. And that game was close until halftime. And then the Hurricanes only scored 15 points in the second half, which is a, is not good. You don't win a whole lot of games doing that. So for me as a viewer who I'm not horribly attached to any of these teams and my bracket is bust. I wasn't gambling really on much of them. It is a little unfortunate that in the Elite Eight, we're in such a crazy tournament, these eight seeds and these 15 seeds that make it just get here and they get their heads kicked in. These 10 seeds, I should say, because the eight seed in UNC actually made it, but they kicked a 15 seeds head in. It's it's not super great viewing. I'm sure, you know, the Turner Broadcasting team who owns the rights to all these games probably wasn't super ecstatic about it, but it's still college basketball. It's so much madness. It's fun. Um, and like I said earlier, it's now Duke playing North Carolina in the Final Four, which is their first ever matchup in NCAA tournament, which is probably the greatest rivalry in college basketball. This is the first time they'll ever be meeting up at the NCAA tournament. And then Villanova will be playing Kansas. Uh, like I said earlier, Villanova's going to be really short-handed, and Kansas has been playing great ball recently. The, the first half they played against Miami was not great, but then in the second half they looked like they should be able to beat anybody. So I've got Duke beating North Carolina. In the uh, in the final four, I should say, I think that on their second, the third time they've played, with the last time being an absolute blowout for North Carolina, I think Duke comes back stronger. I think they're the more talented team. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Caleb Love's shooting can only keep North Carolina afloat for so long. Armando Baycott's been playing great, but he also has to match up with Duke. This is the best size they'll see in the tournament here with Mark Williams. So I'm taking Duke. I think a big game out of their top five guys. 
And then I've got Kansas beating a shorthanded Villanova. If Villanova was at full strength. I think it's a better game, but in a shorthanded Final Four game with how much talent Kansas has, I don't see them losing. And then I like Duke in the championship to send Coach K off with the ultimate victory. Um, setting the, one of the greatest coaches of all time off with a national championship is an incredible story just to begin with. But also, this Duke team has five, even six, almost NBA-level guys. And that's enough to win an NCAA tournament. It's enough to win any game in college basketball. And I know they haven't dominated this year like some people expect them to, but they've looked really good in this tournament. They know how to win close games. When other teams skid, they thrive, which is will win you so many games in college basketball and basketball in general. So I like Duke to send off Coach K with a victory. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that next weekend, but that is what I'm seeing right now. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens in the Final Four. And then I believe on the National Championship on Monday week from whenever you're listening to this but with the march madness talk out of the way that actually takes us to the trivia question of the week this week there is a trivia question even though i'm not talking to anybody so this one's just for you the listener what ncaa head coach won mvp of the 1996 mcdonald's all-american game now i'm sure many of you are shouting out the answer right now because it was widely publicized but if you haven't this is a bit of a thinker here are some hints though he was a point guard uh and Kobe Bryant was actually his teammate in this game. He won MVP over Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. The answer is, I'll give you another second to think about it, Shaheen Holloway, head coach of the St. Peter's Peacocks for this incredible tournament run. 15 seed upsets all the way up the board to the Elite Eight before they eventually lost to North Carolina, as we talked about. Uh, It's reported that he is now going to be the head coach of his alma mater, Seton Hall, which surprises nobody. He was probably going to get that job to begin with, considering how he turned around St. Peter's. And now after this run, it was just solidified. He's going to be making a lot more money, have a lot better resources, going to be able to recruit more guys to in a, the New Jersey area where he's from. Uh, it's it's an ultimate step up for him. And he, I 100% believe he deserves it. He didn't spend a lot of time at St. Peter's, but great coaches usually do spend a lot of time at, at great ma- mid-majors because they get poached. And uh, Seton Hall's alma mater. It's got an open spot. It all just kind of worked out for the best. Um, I wish Shaheen Holloway all the best in the world. I had never really heard of him. I mean, I had heard his name before as players because he was great at Seton Hall. And he was kind of in like a, this 1990, late 90s college basketball. He has a little bit of a, a lore around him, but I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know he was the coach at St. Peter's. And he has now turned them into a household name, at least for right now. People will remember it forever. Uh, people are going to be talking about Dougie Buckets and Defo, the Drame brothers, guys like that. For, for years and years, and it's it's something that really can't ever be matched. There's, there's nothing like a March Madness Cinderella run. So good good for Sheen Holloway. You know, it's sad, obviously, for St. Peter's fans that they now kind of have to start over again, but that's how this goes. And if you're Shaheen Holloway, there's no other possible way you can go here. You have to go. Go get your money. Uh, there's This opportunity may never come again, and he has to go do it right now, and I'm very, very happy for him, as I'm sure all his players are. And honestly, with the way the transfer portal goes these days, any of these guys who had great tournaments, I'm sure they'll be looking to move up a little bit. Because as fun as playing in the Mid-Atlantic Athletic Conference is, if they can get more eyes on him, more NIL deals. I know Dougie Buckets Eddard has already got a Buffalo Wild Wings deal and a couple other things in the works. But these guys have found a way to market themselves at, at the highest level. And now they have a chance to go make a lot of money doing it. Or just to go play at a better school. So... I'm really proud of these St. Peter's guys. It was a blast watching them play. I didn't believe in them against Kentucky. I did believe in them against Murray State. I did not believe in them against Purdue, and they proved me wrong every time I didn't believe in them. And then 
it was it was great. I'm I'm it was a, a lot of fun and until next year for the next Cinderella run. Although UNC and Nate Seed could still be considered Cinderella, but I think if you ask anybody in the college basketball world, this isn't that surprising given how much talent they have on that team. So moving on to game of the week, we'll go into the NBA, transition in. There will be more college talk next week, but there did, there was NBA stuff this week, so we got to talk about it because we love the NBA. So game of the week this week for me is Heat Celtics on Wednesday night. I'll get a little bit more into the Battle of the East coming up, but just for a little peak pre- preview, uh, the Celtics and the Heat are at the top of the East right now, and one team is skidding and one team is winning. And um, it's going to have massive seeding implications. The top four seeds in the East is going to be a bloodbath until the last day. Um, I'm going with Celtics money line just because the Celtics are playing out of their mind right now. And as I'll get into a little bit, even though I can see some possible seed ducking just with the way everything else is going out. The Celtics are going to try to keep winning. I'm not even sure if, even if they tried to lose right now, they, they could just because of how they've been playing. But yeah, I'm going to take Heat Celtics. I'm going to go Celtics money line. Um, if the other guys have any games of the week, look out on our social medias at Man to Man Podcast. Try to find them. Um, if not, it'll just be me riding. And if I get it wrong, y'all can put all the blame on me. I, I can take it. And I will be very happy to do it. And I can say I was right on my son's bet last week. So we're, we're streaking and trending in the right direction. So as we were talking about the Celtics uh, and the Heat, this, these are the dog days of the NBA season a little bit. Most teams have single-digit games to go anywhere from 7, 8, 9, um, which in the West is big for a lot of teams near the bottom of the playoffs, trying to find their way in at least a playing game. But for the East, it is loaded at the top. Uh, I talked about the Celtics, the Heat, the Bucks, the Sixers. These teams are all within a half a game of first place. I've never seen anything like it. It's basically at this point, you could you could have lost be essentially one and a half games back of the first place team in the East. Right now, it's the Celtics, but it could be any of these teams and be a fissy, not even have home court advantage. It's insane. It is a, a lot of fun. It's going to be incredible to watch these next seven, eight games just to see how these teams do this. Because down at the bottom, I'm not sure if uh, anybody has heard. But Kyrie Irving is going to be allowed to play the rest of the year, at least in his home stadiums in New York. Uh, the mandate that prevented him from working, from being a, an employee with the vaccine mandate has been lifted. So he gets to play at home games. He played in his first home game today. Uh, a fully healthy and fully able to play Nets team, which they will probably be in the playing games and will have to work their way out of some sudden death playing games, which don't get me wrong, as we've seen in the NCAA tournament, can do a lot of crazy things. But I trust the Nets to win those games. If you are a one seed and you battled your way through this bloodbath of an Eastern Conference and your your reward for coming in first is having to play a Nets eight seed, oh, that would be terrible. Having to guard Kevin Durant for seven games in the playoffs, Kyrie Irving. The, the, the Nets are not very deep. It's known. But in the playoffs, you don't really need to be deep. You just need to outscore the team with your best guys. And the Nets will do that. So... I, I can I don't want to say I think teams are going to start ducking, and when I mean ducking, I mean you know intentionally maybe lose the game to try to fall into that third or fourth seed. So you play one of the six seeds or the seven seeds, who are yet to be determined. But it could be the Cavs, it could be the Bulls if they keep skidding teams like that. Um, that's probably a more favorable matchup for almost every single one of these teams than the Nets. It's really hard to lose on purpose in the NBA 
when you have as much talent as these teams do, unless you just start sitting them, which the NBA is frowns upon heavily. So I don't know how teams are going to do it, but if I was a GM or a head coach or, an, or a star player or an owner, and I was presented with this task, with this fact that, hey, if we keep winning, we may have to play one of the best teams in the league in the eighth seed, one of the most talented teams, I should say, in the first round. It would have to, it would be something I would really consider. I consider like a little mini tank for two weeks for these last not even two weeks, week and a half. Try to maybe fall into that three four. Because yeah, you'll have to play them eventually anyway, but I would rather play them later in the playoffs when so many other things could have possibly happened besides in the first round as a one seed, where instead of getting a tune up versus, you know, your typical eight seed. You get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I'm not going to say teams are going to do it because I don't truly know. I know the NBA would be very upset if that happened. Adam Silver would be come knocking on doors. But I can see it happen. Now, a team that probably wouldn't have to try to lose, because right now they're, unless this is just the ultimate hidden tank, which I would respect, is the Miami Heat. Um, they're in a little bit of a meltdown. There was a They had a confrontation on the bench during a timeout. This week, guys yelling at each other. Eric Spolster throwing a clipboard. Jimmy Butler having, you know, Jimmy Butler. It had been a while since we had a good Jimmy Butler episode. I can say that. And uh, we, we got one. So, are the Heat still the number two team in the East and could come in first? Absolutely. Are they also trending down at a bad time? Yes. This team that has just flown a little bit in under the radar and then skied to first place after a hot stretch is now finding themselves going in the wrong direction at the wrong time. The, they, you, they blame it on a lot of things. They said, you know, yeah, family fights, the, the usual stuff you hear whenever there's in-team conflict. But you don't typically see teams that actually have championship aspirations fighting on the sideline. That It, it just doesn't happen. There's Everything has to go right for these teams in the playoffs. You can have no distractions. Nothing on your side can be even the slightest bit out of whack. And when they are, that's when things go south. And for the Heat, this is things going south. This all we hear about all the time is Heat culture, Heat this, Heat that. Heat culture is not having your head coach and your star player screaming at each other in a timeout, having to be restrained from each other. It's just not. It's not the sign of a championship team. It worries me about the Heat. If they have to, if the Heat have to play the Nets in the first round, I I would take the Nets pretty handily. So we'll see. Maybe the Heat they don't have to try to lose. They find themselves in the three four. Maybe play the Bulls in the first round or the Cavs, somebody like that. The Bucks and the Sixers, I'm not worried about. the The Bucks are the Bucks. They're consistent. They're good. They have Giannis Antetokounmpo, if not the best player in the league, a top three player in the league right now. Um, the Sixers have Big Joe and James Harden, who are still figuring it out, but come playoff time, when talent wins games, those are two of the most talented players in the NBA. I'm not worried about the Bucks or the Sixers. Do they probably want to face the Nets in the first round? No, but I'm not worried about them. I'm, of these three, four teams, I have been putting the, the worried meter at not worried at all for the Celtics, for Bucks, maybe a little worried for the Sixers, just because, like I said, they're still figuring it out. But again, I think they're going to be good. And then very worried for the Heat. Uh, in the West, I am not worried about the Suns. Suns are good. That's the only analysis I have that I, I haven't said already. This team's incredible, and they're getting back to full strength at a good time. 
the Lakers are bad. They may not even make the play-in game. We've talked plenty about them. I'm not going to spend any more time on them. Um, a team in the West I do want to talk about that, again, they may not actually even make the playoffs, but they have been running at a good times. the Pelicans. Uh, bringing C.J. McCollum on was, has proven to be one of the best moves at the deadline just because this team has improved so much already. They have a lot of talent, and Zion's not even playing. I would look out for the Pelicans next year to be really, really good. Um, if they do make it out the play-ins, find themselves at a 7 or 8 seed, uh, this is a scary first-round matchup. I, I would not really want to see the Pelicans in, uh, you know, with what the, how they're playing right now. Do I think to beat the Suns or the Grizzlies in a seven-game series? Suns, no. Grizzlies, they probably put up a fight. This Pelicans team just kind of circling like a Pelican, circling, waiting for food. They're scary. They're, they're legitimately a team I would not want to play. CJ can get buckets at any time. Brandon Ingram, another bucket getter. Jonas Valanciunas, one of the best bigs in the league, underrated. Do I Again, do I think they're going to win a first round? Probably not. They may not even make out the play-ins. But right now, they are trending in the right direction. And that's really what matters the most right now is what way are you going at this time? At the, the dog days, days of the season, are you going up? Are you going down? Or are you staying consistent? And the Pelicans are going up at a very fast rate. I don't know what the future holds. The standings will change, especially in the East from here until the end. However, I will give one prediction right now, and that is I believe the Celtics will be the one seed in the East, and they will be playing the Nets in the first round, and we will get Celtics-Nets a seven-game series the first week of playoffs. It's going to be awesome. That's about all I have for NBA action from last week. Uh, like I said, it's more kind of a quiet time in the NBA right now. It's about to explode in the next two weeks with everything going on, but with March Madness uh, and just it being a little bit of the dog days of the season, uh, that, that's all we, we really have because I want to talk about the what I prepped at the beginning, which is the 2022 Best Picture nominees as NBA MVP candidates. So let's play a quick game, you and me. Pretend I haven't already talked about this and you didn't read the title of this podcast or anything like that. We just started talking. I'm going to list five distinct characteristics of an award race, and you can try to guess which award I'm talking about. All right, you ready? Here we go. It is the most notable award given out in its respective field. It's large and incredibly profitable organizations market heavily for one of their most impressive assets to win this award. Voters have become far less predictable over the past few years, I'd say. However, some trends will never change. Uh, no matter what, people are upset about the outcome of this award if their choice of winner is not recognized. And this year's race is slash was one of the most competitive and interesting in recent memory. Now, if you guess best picture at the Oscars, you're correct. And if you guess NBA MVP, you're also correct. These awards, despite being across two totally different fields, voted on by entirely different people, are incredibly similar, especially this year. Both have had one of the best nominees candidate pools in their history, and while both appear to have clear frontrunners, or appeared to have had clear front runners. Uh, no insiders from either the film industry or basketball media were able to kind of come to a consensus on who they thought were going to take the, the hardware home. Um, if you were a futures gambler, it, it was nauseating, especially for the uh, Oscars. NBA MVP is obviously still going on, but the Oscars has been decided. Uh, but the chaos is just too beautiful to look away from. Uh, I will announce now, as I'm sure many of you have already seen, that Coda won Best Picture. 
which was a bit of a surprise considering that the power of the dog was the odds on favorite uh, for a long time now. And the power of the dog did take home some Oscars. However, Coda winning best picture was one of the biggest moments of the night. So that actually kind of plays well into what I'm about to do with these direct comparisons, because like I said earlier, I'm just going to take a best picture nominee compared to an NBA MVP candidate. And some of them are due to likelihood to win. Some are based on style and some are just like straight feel picks, which you know what I'm talking about. It just feels right. Sometimes, sometimes things just feel right. However, I could say they're all picked with very little scientific backing. Um, but when I wrote these, the announcement had not been made that Coda had won yet. So it doesn't change my analysis at all. However, I can say the comparison I make for Power of the Dog to Joel Embiid, which I'm about to tell you about, does seem a little harrowing for Joel Embiid's MVP candidacy. All right, let's jump in. So going into tonight, the power of the dog was the odds on favorite as Joel Embiid is right now for MVP. Um, they, which makes sense because they're both outstanding. The power of the dog is a great Netflix movie. It's, it's beautifully shot. It's got an incredible director and Jane Campion. She did an amazing job. She won best director. Um, Joel Embiid is, is been incredible all year. He's, he's really put the Sixers when the Sixers had not a whole lot else going on. He was keeping them afloat. And now that they've brought on James Hart and he's even excelled his game. Um, they're widely respected across their industries, both of these assets and both of these nominees. And neither would have been the wrong option. You know, had Power of Dog won tonight, I don't think anybody would have gone out and yelled from the streets that it didn't deserve it. And if Joel Embiid wins MVP, I don't think that'll happen either. But it shows that even when it feels like something should happen, it felt like the Power of the Dog was going to win. It feels like Joel Embiid's going to win MVP. Just because it feels like it doesn't mean it's going to. Because voters love to go with what they truly want. I'll get into it more when I just show who Coda is compared to. But I'm, I'm sure you can already guess where I'm going with this. Sometimes the pick that actually sits in the back of your mind like, damn, I kind of like this one a little bit better. A lot of voters are feeling that way too. And they'll put that down. Because they'll think to themselves, well, if, if so many people are like the other guy, I'm going to lose anyway. And then what do you know? Somebody else walks across the stage. So I was surprised when Power of the Dog did not win. I would still be surprised if Joel Embiid did not win MVP in a few months. But when there's that little itch in the back of your head that says maybe this doesn't feel right, it's okay to trust that feeling. That's all I'm going to say on it. Dune is the next movie I chose, the next film I chose. And Dune is, is John Morant. Um, if there was an award for simply just being cool, they would be the runaway favorites. Uh, Dune is cool. Dune was awesome when it was released. When it was released on uh, in theaters and also on HBO Max, it was one of the biggest moments in film this year. Um, it, you know, a little bit of critical uh, discrepancies, but I'd say across the board, people really liked Dune, uh, loved it even. It took home a bunch of the technical Oscars, as it should have. And uh, Jaws Emergence as a Superstar has been can't miss this year. It's been one of the biggest stories, and it's been, as Dune was, really awesome. Um, it, I fully expected Dune to win a lot of other awards. I did not ever think it was going to win MVP, similar to Jaw. Jaws could probably gonna win Most Improved. The Grizzlies, uh, Taylor Jenkins could win Coach of the Year, and the Grizzlies are expecting to make a deep run in the West, which I think is really what Jaws is morally about, more about than the MVP. 
but he's not going to win MVP. They're both just something that when we look back at it, I think it's going to be more important than maybe whatever won, whatever wins. Dune is has a sequel coming. Denis Villeneuve has created a, a cinematic atmosphere, cinematic world for the Dune world, which a lot of people thought was never going to happen because Dune was unadaptable. People thought you couldn't bring exciting basketball to Memphis. It was grit and grind, which is exciting in its own right, but it was never going to be the high-flying, flashy style that John Morant has now brought. The What these two, what Dune is doing, what John Morant are doing, are, are very intertwined in that fashion. They're taking the surprise factor, the coolness factor, the awesomeness of what's occurring, and they're putting it in front of everybody to see. And even though they Dune did not win, and I do not think Ja will win, that what they're building may be far more important in the long run. Licorice Pizza, next nominee. Compare, gonna say Licorice Pizza is Steph Curry. Uh, Licorice Pizza, not a winner. Actually, didn't take home any Oscars. Um, it wasn't nominated for a whole lot, but it didn't win Best Original Screenplay, didn't win Best Director, and obviously did not win Best Picture. Um, millions of people are diehard fans of Paul Thomas Anderson, who's the director and writer of Licorice Pizza. And with good right, he's an incredible filmmaker, one of the best writers of our generation, made movies like There Will Be Blood and The Master, some of the classics of of this generation. Very similar to how Steph Curry has millions of diehard fans and has led some of the incredible teams and had the incredible seasons of our generation and is one of the best players of our generation. When they're at their best, when Licorice Pizza and Steph Curry are at their best, there's nothing better to have on your TV screen. Licorice Pizza, when... The running in this movie is so good. The music is awesome. Uh, like when Steph's running up and down the court, splashing threes, running off screens, throwing passes, lobs, everything. It's can't miss. It's awesome. There's nothing better to watch. When things get a little slower, it's still really good. When Liquor's Pizza, when the pacing drops off a little bit, and it, uh, Steph, when maybe he's not missing so many shots, when he's missing some shots, when he's slumping like he did a little bit in the middle of the year. It's still really good, but it's not strong enough to push itself over the top and beat these other candidates. So that's why Liquor's Pizza and Steph Curry make sense to me. Neither of them w- did or will win. Um, and the difference, though, which is there is one major difference between these uh, two, is that Steph Curry actually already has two MVPs, and Paul Thomas Anderson still does not have an Oscar. So there's a little discrepancy there, but I still like Liquor's Pizza and Steph Curry comparison. And uh, go watch Liquor's Pizza. Rent it. It's great. Um, and... We'll see if Steph Curry can maybe find himself into a finals MVP. Maybe. Probably not. But maybe. Nightmare Alley is the next candidate. Next non-winner. Uh, and Nightmare Alley is DeMar DeRozan. Um, each are on the outside looking in at the top candidates. Kind of is like the odd one out. Um, Nightmare Alley, which is a great movie, by a uh, great film, directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, about a uh, carny. Uh, who turns into like a mentalist, I think is the right word, but somebody who scams a little bit and tries to figure stuff out about people. Give it a watch. It's on HBO Max, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's just a weird Best Picture nominee, and DeMar DeRozan is kind of a weird MVP candidate. They're more cult picks than true like industry academy journalist picks. Uh, you know, there's a, a very large legion of Nightmare Alley fans who swear it should win Best Picture. It should have. There's a lot of Bulls fans, a lot of DeMar DeRozan's fans who say nobody has been more valuable than him. 
I don't believe it. A lot of people don't believe it, but those very specific groups believe with all their heart. And had things gone a little differently in voting for Best Picture, say Power of the Dog, Coda, and Dry My Car split all the top votes, Nightmare Alley could have snuck in there. That's the only way it could have won. DeMar DeRozan, same thing. Maybe these top candidates. Don't want to spoil any names, but we'll talk with Joel Embiid and some other names. Maybe if they all split votes at the top, DeMar DeRozan could have snuck into first place. I don't see it happening, though. That was the only way those these two candidates were going to win, and it's not going to happen. It didn't happen for Nightmare Alley. It's not going to happen for DeMar. However, I can say they were both incredibly surprising this award season and this season in general for DeMar, as I don't think either had horribly high expectations and both ended up being pretty damn good. Drive My Car, next nominee, non-winner, is uh, Giannis Adekumpo. Uh, there, there's really no good reason it feels like these two nominees shouldn't have been in the running for winning. Drive My Car is a fantastic Japanese film. It won Best International Feature, which is something. Uh, did not win Best Picture. Uh, it, it's a beautiful movie. It's about three hours long. Uh, and it's it's really good. It does it hits every mark. It's it's really a fascinating film. Giannis, same thing. He just does things the the right way. He wins games for the Bucks. He's been arguably having his best season of his career, which is insane, coming off the uh, two MVPs in the last three years, and a defensive player of the year award in there as well. But there was just never any momentum for him. You can call it voter fatigue, which is something that can happen in the MVP race and can never happen in Best Picture is voter fatigue. So that's a little uh, difference there, but trying to ignore that for the case of the argument. But for Giannis, it could be a lot of things. If, if the Bucks end up getting the one seed, he could win. If Drive My Car had all of a sudden had a major push, and it could have found its way to the top. There's no reason it couldn't have won Best Picture, but just on the film it is. There's no reason Giannis shouldn't win MVP because the player he is, there just isn't the, there isn't the buzz. There isn't the run for it. And there wasn't for Drive My Car, and I don't see it happen for Giannis either. So a few a few voters, I'm sure, voted for Drive My Car. A few voters, I'm sure, are going to put Giannis for first place, but it's not going to be enough. That's why they're, they're just on that third place line, I feel like, both of them. Drive My Car may be a little bit down, but Giannis is definitely in third place for MVP right now. They'll both be excellent into the future. Drive My Car is going to be good. I don't know how long Drive My Car will stay in the public consciousness. Giannis is obviously going to be a superstar for a long time, but right now they're at that same level for me. So next up is King Richard, uh, the film about uh, Richard Williams, Serena and Venus Williams' father. And I'm going to say King Richard is Devin Booker. Um, I call this one the Family Favorites Award because they they are the award that I feel like if families voted on who should be, who what should win Best Picture and who should win MVP, they would both win. Uh, you know, King Richard's a great sports movie, great family movie. Uh, not really a coming of age tale, but in that same vein, something you can watch around, you know, the living room with the family late at night, and everybody comes, everybody gets to go upstairs at night happy. Uh, Devin Booker, when you watch him play, you know, watch these him lead these sons to the one seed, and he held the the boat above water when Chris Paul went down, and he's he's just done played so well this year in every facet of the game, his best season of his career, and it may lead them to a championship. But you should not be surprised, and you shouldn't have been surprised when King Richard didn't win it, uh, Best Picture, but you should not be surprised when Devin Booker doesn't get a single first-place MVP vote. 
being really, really good and the really, really safe, consistent vote, but not standing out is not the way to win these awards. King Richard, really good. Did not stand out in this Best Picture nominee class. Devin Booker is really good and has stood out at times, but in the grand scheme of the season, he did not stand out over these guys in front of him. For better or for worse, I think Devin Booker's been incredible this year. I'd probably have him a bit fourth in my ballot right now. Maybe fifth. But definitely top half of the top ten. King Richard, in this Best Picture nominee, I probably would have him a little bit lower than that. But they both fall in that category where there's no reason. Like, I can't pinpoint a reason they're not going to win. Other than the fact that there's just stuff better than them this year. So... That, that's why King Richard and Devin Booker end up in my family favorites category. King Richard did not win. I will talk about the Will Smith-Chris Rock thing real quick. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I don't think there's anything I can say about it that hasn't already been said on social media a thousand times. I thought it was a shoot. Turns out it was real. Uh, will Smith then having to go up and give a speech after that was insane and, and for television, pretty dramatic. Uh, but it got everybody talking about the Oscars. Twitter hadn't blown up like that. All night, and then it'll be talking about that for the next week. So, that's something. Had that going for it. I'm not going to say it was good, but it was damn entertaining. King Richard's Devin Booker. All right. And congrats to Will Smith on his award. He did, he did deserve that Best Acting Award, despite everything that happened tonight. Uh, don't look up as Kevin Durant. <laughs> this feels a little unfair, considering Kevin Durant is a far better basketball player than Don't Look Up as a film. And I say that with, a, with a, a decent amount of love and respect for Don't Look Up. I liked it, but Kevin Durant is a better player than Don't Look Up as a film. But this is as close as I could get. Uh, neither is going to win. KD had a, If KD was healthy all year, it would be a legitimate consideration. But with his injury, he's just not going to. Uh, Don't Look Up. If Don't Look Up could have avoided the controversy around its subject matter a little bit more, which was never, ever going to happen, considering what Don't Look Up is about. They would have had chances. But there were so many voters who definitely looked... First off, watched Don't Look Up. Either didn't really get it, didn't feel that connection to it, and then never, it never had a shot. KD, I mean, love him or hate him, he's one of the best basketball players in the world. But there has been so much controversy around the Nets, around... Things in KD's atmosphere, Kyrie, the James Harden trade, uh, maybe Steve Nash's seat is getting a little hot. People don't really want to talk about it, but that could be happening. That that stuff really has nothing to do with Kevin Durant, but it's around him. The, the controversies around Don't Look Up don't really have to do with the actual film of Don't Look Up, but the stuff it talks about. So that's why I, I had these two together. Don't Look Up didn't win. KD's not going to win. But for this matter... They, they line up because of the aura around them as opposed to really what they are. Uh, Belfast, next nominee, is Luca. Uh, before the race really started, they were both front runners. I'd say Belfast was the first film in this awards season because it came out a while back at Sundance that people were like, oh, Belfast is going to win Best Picture or is going to at least be a nominee. So many people at the end of the season last year were like, Luca is the MVP favorite for next year. Luca is that guy. They're both really good. Belfast, a perfectly pleasant movie. I, I enjoyed Belfast a lot. It, it, I wouldn't say it was perfect, but it was good. And in another year and in another time for certain, Belfast probably wins. Not this year, though. 
Luca has been incredible at points this season. Very, very good. He's not winning MVP, though. They both had very high hopes, high expectations. People really jumped on the bandwagon quick. But it's not happening. Luca, as the, you know, all these players do, I suppose, has the ability to go try again next year, which Belfast does not. But Belfast did take home some awards tonight, including Best Original Screenplay. Luca's working to get his Mavericks, they'll be in the playoffs, but he wants them to go into a second, third round compete for Western Conference Finals. Both these films, Luca, or I should say both of these nominees, realized eventually maybe going for the big one is not what we need to be doing here. Belfast, eventually, I'm sure the marketing team was like, all right, actually, we're probably not winning Best Picture. Let's pull out. Let's focus on Best Original Screenplay. Let's go for it. And they won it. Luca, he's probably not worried about MVP anymore, those stats. He, he just wants to win. He wants to take the, these maps to us or conference finals and compete for our finals. I think in the long run, that would make everybody happier. So that's why I see Belfast and Luca one-to-one there. Uh, West Side Story is Jason Tatum. Similar with DeMar DeRozan and Nightmare Alley, there will be a very vocal, powerful minority that swears up and down these candidates should have gotten a better look at their respective awards. There will be. And, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't think Jason Tatum should be a, a little bit higher up on MVP odds. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he's going to get a, lot, a decent amount of third place votes. I enjoyed West Side Story. I never once thought it deserved best, best picture. I enjoy how Jason Tatum has been playing this year. I never once thought he deserved MVP. What they have accomplished, the two of them, West Side Story, bringing the big, beautiful musical directed by Steven Spielberg with massive choreography. And yeah, there was La La Land a few years ago, but this West Side Story is different. West Side Story is entirely different. It's in its own realm of IP. Jason Tatum bringing the Celtics from an 18 and 21 start, I think, to now in the in first place in the East. It's bigger than winning the award. It's bigger than Best Picture or MVP. It's 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 a culture change. It's something that when you can't really measure it up, you can't measure a culture change, and you can't measure what West Side Story bringing Steven Spielberg back to the front, bringing West Side Story to the front. You can't measure that. They can give an award for it. They won't win it. But again, it's, it's, it could be bigger into the future. And now, the winner of Best Picture, Coda. I have Coda, and I had Coda before the award was announced as Nikola Jokic. And this is my reasoning. I'll read it right from my notes. Both could very easily win, even if they are not the current odds-on favorites. Watching them just brings happiness, even if the surrounding results aren't always exactly what we want to see. The biggest detriment to these candidates could be larger organizations they're a part of, Apple TV and the Nuggets. Now that Coda has won, I think in retrospect, I would switch up Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid. Because I think Joel Embiid's going to win MVP. However, when I look at this, similar to what I talked about with Joel Embiid and Power of the Dog, there was something about Coda that was just so enamoring, so beautifully made, so passionate, made me smile. When I was looking at these Best Picture nominees, 
It was just something tugging at my brain. Like, it could win. It could. This is the same way I feel about Nikola Jokic. The, his, the numbers he's put up this year have been amazing. He's leading. If the Nuggets didn't have Nikola Jokic, they'd be a lottery team. So by that standard, he's certainly MVP. There's just something tugging at me about Nikola Jokic. I'm like, damn it, he could win. He could. He's not the odds-on favorite. Joel Embiid's going to beat in that by far. The Sixers are a marginally better team than the Nuggets. But something about Nikola Jokic, he could win it back-to-back. So I don't know. I felt this way about Koda before tonight even started. He could. He could do it. And I still feel that way about Nikola Jokic right now. He could do it. Even with the odds against him, he could do it. All right, and that's all the nominees. That's all the MVP candidates. Uh, that's 10 to 10. Uh, congratulations to Coda. An incredible win. Well-deserved. It's a beautiful movie. Great movie. Uh, if you have Apple TV+, Plus, go ahead and give it a watch. Um, if you if you don't, you can rent it many places. It, it's worth it. it, it it's a great film. And... It's always good to know what's winning the best picture just for the conversation to have in the back of your mind. So give Coda a spin. Give all these movies a spin. None of these movies are bad, I should say. None of these films are bad, and none of these players are bad either. But give them a spin. Try them out. I, I hope you learned something. I hope if you've watched a lot of basketball this year and didn't get to watch any movies, you learned a little bit more about the nominees. If you've watched a ton of film this year, a ton of movies, and you didn't watch hard, enough basketball, you know a little bit more about the MVP candidates. I am running... A little short on time now, though. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to my end here. So before I go, I'm going to talk a little bit about how... I'm. Well, first off, I hope to have the boys back next week to talk about what's coming up in the future. But um, we're, we're approaching playoff time at a rapid pace, as I talked about earlier. And while I'm super excited to talk about it, it, it is a, a little tough. Players feel it. Coaches feel it. They talk about it all the time how this point of the season is the toughest. It's the toughest to stay focused. It's toughest to just stay engaged, keep players engaged, keep coaches engaged, keep the fans engaged. And the reason for that is because the NBA season is long. It it, it stretches from October and the the finals happen in June. And right now it's late March. We're right in the middle of it. When the playoffs start, that's another jolt of energy. When the the all-star break, there's another jolt of energy, but we're right in the middle of all of it right now. So, if you have to take a break, if you're an NBA fan and, and, and this NCAA tournament hasn't done it, you need to take a few days off watching, don't feel bad about doing that. Even if it's just one night. If you're, even if you, you got to yank yourself away from your team, you can't. You have to watch this Tuesday night game. Don't be afraid to take a step back. Take a nice long drink of your water. A nice, you know, a drink of anything. I don't want to discriminate. You have a whiskey and Coke. Take a little sip. Watch, catch up on winning time if you really can't get away from basketball. Watch one of these Best Picture nominees. Don't be afraid to do that. It's okay. You're not going to miss anything. I promise you. Follow enough people on Twitter. Somebody will tell you what's going on. And if really there's something that important happening, somebody will text you and say, hey, you watching what so-and-so is doing right now? You watching Jason Tatum put up another 40-piece? You watching Devin Booker tear another team another team down? You watching Draymond Green? Horrible, the worst games of his career. Admittedly, he said that. People will let you know. Don't be afraid to take a step back and and watch a little something different. Um, We should have a banger episode next week with the NCAA championship. Um, It'll be on Monday, so we'll actually get to preview it, which is nice because 
as I'm sure many of you know, we typically record on Sunday nights, and I'm recording late on Sunday night now because as I can do it by myself, and I want to wait till the Oscars were over to do it. But being able to talk about something that's going to happen on the day we ended up actually releasing these episodes is always a special treat. We don't get to do it too often. So we should have a banger episode of the NCAA championship coming up, and then about this home stretch in the NBA. Uh, we'll probably do some last a little bit of the last regular season awards wrap up. I can't imagine our thoughts have changed too much since the all-star break, but maybe a little bit. We'll probably do something of that matter. Um, and we will just prepare ourselves. Really? We do this to prepare ourselves, but also to prepare, prepare you for the playoff race. We'll break down as it approaches. We'll break down what we think is going to end up being the final seating. And then when the final seating comes out, we'll break down every matchup and we'll give what we think is going to happen across the board. We'll have our, our trivia questions, of course. Games <laughs> games of the week will be a little interesting during playoffs. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. Maybe we'll do like player performances of the week or something like that. I don't know. I haven't talked to the guys yet. But whatever it is, just stay tuned. A lot of things happen on the man-to-man world. Coming up this week a little bit later uh, is going to be the interview that the boys conducted today. I don't want to spoil who it is, but it should be a great one. And I just hope you stay tuned. Uh, please lock in on social media with us. Um, we're, when the offseason does come around, we're going to be using our social media a lot to engage with the fans because that's something we want to do better. Uh, we're going to be asking for hot takes. If somebody has something they're really passionate about talking about, we would love to have some fans come on the show and get to know you and talk and have just listen to what you got to say. That'd be great for us. So please don't be afraid. Follow us on social media. Reach out. DM us. Our DMs are open. Uh, just let us know what you're thinking. If you love the show, if you hate the show, whatever it takes, please feel free. We we will never get mad about that. So, Man to Man Podcast on all social medias. Uh, and then just some real quick shout-outs. Um, oh, and, and for anybody that's, that's wondering, I did go down on my Vegas trip. I, I left on Wednesday, came back on Saturday. It was a great time. I got to hang out with my friends uh, for a while. Uh, we stayed at Excalibur, uh, which... I would say probably one stay there again, just I'd like to stay a little bit closer, more middle of the strip, but it was enjoyable. Uh, it was a great time. I uh, played some blackjack, learned about craps, didn't know anything about craps, and got to bet in a sports book, which is always cool. And as I said earlier, I watched my buddy turn, uh, my buddy Charlie, shout out Chuck. Uh, he flipped $5 into 750 betting on every under in the uh, Sweet 16, which is just absurd to even think and remember that that happened but it did so the vegas was great um i probably won't go back for a while just because the pocketbook can't handle it but if you are a fan of basketball of uh the nba and there's a well for a we went during march madness so that was cool uh, to go watch march madness or the sweet 16 in a sports book but just just do it one time. Find yourself a casino. You don't have to bet a lot of money. You know, they don't they don't charge you to get just to walk into casinos. So take like fifty bucks, even less, twenty-five. Put down some five dollar parlays and five dollar straight bets and just sit with your buddies and watch games. Cause that's what these sports books are here for. They're here to show every single game, you know. And the at Excalibur, they had Greyhound racing on one of the TVs. I've never watched Greyhound racing in my life, but I'll be damned if it wasn't pretty entertaining watching those fast dogs go. Of course, they had horse racing, as every sports book does. But sitting in with your buddies, with some drinks, with some food, with just the energy of a casino and a sports book, and watching numerous games on the television, whether they be as high stakes as the Sweet Sixteen games we were watching, or as low stakes as the uh, shoot the Pistons 
Who'd they play? Pistons Wizards. That's what it was. A Pistons Wizards game where we all had a little bit of money on the line and watching it happen. It, it, it's it's an energy you can't really get anywhere else. So I would highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, you don't even have to do. You can do that in most places. You don't have to go to Vegas to do it. But obviously, Vegas is the coolest place. And then just another last little small story before I wrap it up. Um, I was in the back of my last flight coming from New York to Richmond, where I am based, and um, I was in the third row from the back, and we had a little weight issue with the plane, and the flight attendant came up and asked a bunch of us from the back if we wanted to move up to first class, where there was not a lot of people sitting. Uh, it was it was it was American Airlines. I'll shout them out. They they also did lose my bag at one point, but I got it back, so I, I can't be too mad about them. But they, what American Airlines did right there, it was cool. They hooked hooked a brother up. I got to go from the back of the back near the lavatory to the front in first class, which I had never done before. And uh, everything they say about first class is true. It was one of the shorter flights on my trip. It was only a 55-minute flight. But the more leg room, the bigger seats, the free drinks, it, it, that's all very true. And it's all very cool. Um, so if you ever find yourself in the back of the back of the plane, Maybe you'll get lucky if you can ever do first class. I would highly, highly recommend it. It was it was a great experience, um, and something that now I I just hope next time I fly I can be comfortable going back to to coach and and live it up because I don't think I'm going back to first class anytime soon. But it was a great time. But that is enough about me and my trip, and that's enough of me. Uh, hope you don't didn't mind listening to my voice for 55 minutes. Um, I. Like I say at the beginning of all these episodes, I, I really hope the guys are back next week because I love chatting with them. And I know the three of us going at it's always better. But uh, if you like what you hear, reach out, let us know. We'll uh, maybe I'll figure out a way to do some mini episodes, some solo JP episodes. I'll, I'll run it by the guys. But uh, follow on all social medias, reach out. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, hope you have a, a great day. And I don't get to do this often, so I'm gonna live it up. Namaste. Namaste. Y'all had it here. Only in the night. It ain't about nothing. I'm straight hustling.